This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Moray for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Not only do we work with people across the hall, across town, and across the country, but we also work with people we never met from countries we know only through Wikipedia or the Travel Channel. UX lead for PracticeWorks, Joe Sokol, discusses principles to live by when managing teams remotely, including those of communication, flexibility, sensitivity, courage, and the best tool of all, that of empathy. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. So I'm Joe Sokol, and, and, and what I want to talk about today is management and really managing remote teams remotely, largely talking about what my experience and, and some of the things that I've done, but also obviously we're a small group, let's you know, make this, you know, we'll share uh, information and we'll talk about uh, things that work, things that don't work, talk about questions and get some of the ideas going in that sense. Um, how many of you manage people who aren't in your same visual site? And how many of you are remote people who have a manager somewhere else who's managing you? And how many of you are, don't work in an office and manage people who work anywhere in a lot of different places? Okay, so I, that makes me kind of unique. But uh, at any rate, um, a little bit about me. I'm the user experience lead for a company called PracticeWorks LLC. I've been in more than 15 years. I can never remember. We do dental software. And um, sometimes we have to, uh, we do both imaging hardware and software images as well as practice management, how your dentist schedules appointments. So I think you're going to need to see somebody about number, uh, let's see, well, that would be like number uh, 15 and 16. You've got an abscess. Um, the dental industry has changed a lot <clears throat> over the years. It's gone very much from a physical to a digital world, as a lot of uh, uh, medical uh, uh, approaches have, and so many other things. You know, it's all let's go paperless. But my role is a is a new role in the company, um, and my background is, you know, as Jorge said, it's uh, varied. I started off in in writing and publishing, got into technical writing moved into uh, online help development and design, then I asked the question of, gee, should we make better documentation or what if we just made better products? Which led into product design, um, user interface design for a short time, really information architecture, interaction design, human computer interaction, usability evaluation. That's really where I see what I do. And um, within that world, um, I've had the fortunate to spend a lot of time in distributed teams and working with people kind of all over the place. So um, from my standpoint, it, it, the question is, you know, where are we, right? Where, it, it, sometimes it's a, I have to ask myself that question to know where exactly I am. And also where everybody else is. And um, I work with, I've worked with distributed teams for a long time. I work out of a home office. And I handle folks all over the world, and I've been doing this for more than um, uh, three years, in fact, 
um, as I look at this, I have uh, done a lot of different things. I've spent two years in li living and working in Germany for a multinational uh, company that did a lot of projects globally, uh, user uh, research that spanned you know, four or five countries for one project, or uh, dealing with uh, project teams in multiple places, dealing with staff members in different places. Um, and then, uh, really, the past four years, I've worked remotely in one form or another, either, either as an individual contributor who was managed remotely from a central group and office, or uh, as an individual who managed other people very distributed. And even now, I, I manage a very small team, but we work with project teams almost everywhere. And so the, a lot of the issues that I want to talk about and a lot of the, uh, the concerns as well as some of the mitigations for that are driven really by this experience. Um, so some of the stuff that um, I use, that you'll, we'll talk about later, but a lot of times this is the way people will see me. They'll see me on a webcam, in my office with my headset, or I'm you know, just like everybody else, doing, using as much technology as I can. But it's not just about technology. And a lot of times I think we get kind of wrapped up in technology, right? So what I want to talk about is, initially, is talk about some of the principles, and then we'll talk about some of the tools that I use. And by tools, I'm not talking technology. I'm talking about tools. Does that sound like a good idea? So, um, gosh, principles. It's really just what are some of the big buckets of things to consider uh, when you're managing a team or when you're looking at a team? Uh, I tend to look at these in several different things. And the first one, and some of these things may sound like I'm belaboring the obvious. And one of the reasons I'm belaboring the obvious is I don't think that we're doing it well. And I think that sometimes we have to get back to basics and we have to address those basics. And especially as managers, we have to make sure we take those into account. So um, communication. <clears throat> I worked for a company called Keen. Uh, several alumni are still here uh, at the conference. Joe Lamantia, uh, Valeska Whitney, and maybe some others. But I worked at, at Keen, originally hired by the Richmond, Virginia office, and uh, worked on projects there in Richmond, and my boss was in Richmond. So that was a very traditional relationship. Reorganization six months later, and I find myself reporting to Boston, to a Central Architecture Services Group in Boston. Um, and I would find myself sometimes on, on uh, conference calls with people saying things like, so anyway, over on the whiteboard, you'll see that we, and I'm going, hey, McFly, I'm over here. Has that ever happened to you guys? Yeah. You know, or, or the other thing is, you know, when you really talk and, and people don't know what you're talking about, and then when, you know, as you're going through, that's the sort of thing that we would do, right? I mean, so one of the key issues is, understanding who you're communicating with and what their situation is. So, um, and I, uh, pull some of my notes out here. Um, technology is part of that, how you manage that, and I'll, I'll talk about that from a tool standpoint. But what I try to do is, I try to communicate with each team member one-on-one -on -one at least once a week. 
And I really find the one-on-one -on -one situation is a great way to effect that communication. It's a scheduled time. They know when I'm going to talk to them. I know when they're going to talk to me. We, and we carve that time out, not for project work, but for my uh, communication directly to them. What are they interested in? How well are they doing on any goals, any, any procedures, any uh, policy uh, issues that I need to uh, disseminate? If they have questions about those that come to me. So it becomes a, a conduit, a true communication that we have to, we have to uh, take into account. In Eric Reese's talk before this, anybody, you guys were there, anybody else in Eric's? And he had that Goethe quotation, you know, in effect, uh, he hears only what he understands. In the same way, we need to know what it is that people, uh, what communication style, what communication media work for them. So having a one-on-one -on -one with each team member is a very key thing. And if you have a large team, sometimes that one-on-one -on -one is with the sub-manager. So in one case, when I had 30 people that I managed, I really dealt with the, the key uh, area leaders to make sure that they disseminated that information. But that one-on-one -on -one is important. But the other part is, conversely, is a once-a-week meeting to uh, have the team come together and have their ability to communicate in a forum where everybody could understand that they had a voice as well. So it's not just about one-on-one uh, -on -one separated as that dialogue. It becomes also a community. And that helps foster that sense of community. Um, so having a communication style is important. Having a communication strategy is just as important. So style is how you yourself communicate. Uh, language, obviously, the normal things like that, the, the tools that you use, the techniques that you use but also making sure you have an understanding of the strategy. How are you going to do that? And make sure that you follow through, that it's repeatable, that it's predictable, and that way you make sure that you have that connection with people. It's obviously important in an office, but at least in, in, in an office or in a building where you have that physical relationship, you have a lot more opportunities for that. Be when you are remote, if you work remotely or if you manage remote people, you really have to make sure you engage that. Um, and then we also have to be flexible, right? Everything is not, everything is not perfect, as we know. Um, a lot of the work I do is international, and it has been for many years. How many people deal internationally, work with teams? Of, yeah, I mean, it's hard to avoid, right? We, we have to do that. I can remember being at Keene having, uh, uh, where uh, different people had standing meetings at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 3 o'clock in the afternoon is 12.30 a.m. in India. Well, the, the managers who would have these meetings weren't taking into account the fact that that meant a lot of other people had to meet their own individual style. So I feel it's very important as a manager, sort of the higher up you go, the more flexible you have to be. And the more important it is for you to adjust your time, your um, uh, schedules, your uh, artifacts, and the way you deliver things have to be adjusted based on who you're communicating with. Because as a manager, right, you're responsible for their lives. They're really not responsible for yours. But it's really important, I think, to be flexible 
in your schedule, in, flexible in the type of uh, uh, artifacts that you deliver, in meeting the, uh, uh, the different goals and understandings that people have in the field. Because you're not with them. You don't have the ability to j just go up to them and say, look, you know, I know we had a meeting now. Can you just you know, give me 15 minutes and come see you in your office? Because then that 15 minutes, they may be somewhere else. Or that 15 extra minutes may mean now they're in a rush hour in Atlanta instead of uh, uh, where you are in um, uh, LA. Um, and so <laughs> that flexibility is really important. It goes very, very much in line with sensitivity, right? You're flexible because you have people that need to get stuff done, but you really need to be sensitive to the culture. You need to be sensitive to, to uh, personalities. You need to be sensitive to uh, demeanor and that sort of thing. Um, anybody here from New Orleans? Anybody? So in New Orleans, um, we all know about Mardi Gras, right? Anybody been to Mardi Gras? I've been to Mardi Gras. Three people been to Mardi Gras? What's wrong with you people? Get out! Go, Vantan Roulet! Um, Mardi Gras Day is a, is a holiday for almost all businesses in New Orleans. How many people knew that? Right. So that means you probably ought to know when that date is and not schedule meetings or events uh, for people to be in the office. But guess what? Lundi Gras as well, which is the Monday before Mardi Gras, is a day that most offices also take off. And even if they don't, if they're anywhere near the quarter, you literally can't hear uh, anything going on if you're on the fifth floor below in some of the buildings in the central business district. So that's a combination of that sensitivity to them and flexibility. Um, how many people have holidays uh, for Easter? I mean, actually have companies or, that actually give holidays for Easter. Yeah. Uh, I know that in Europe, it's generally a four-day holiday, and certainly in Southern European countries, and, and for you guys as well. Yeah. So it's four days off, and it's another floating thing. If you schedule events and meetings around that time because you don't take that into account, that can really be a buzzkill to a team. I mean, I got to tell you, it's important to take these things into account and be sensitive to that. Because, because you don't, maybe you don't value that, or your office or your culture doesn't value that, you need to take it into account. Um, Holly in India, huge fun Holly uh, uh, festival of colors, where people run around and throw uh, powdered colors at each other, and it's, it's a huge thing. Uh, Diwali, the Festival of Lights. Uh, all of these things need to be taken into account because it's not just about the people who report to you not working. It's about that's their culture, and that's something that you as a manager, I think, we all need to be sensitive to. And if you are somebody who is working remotely, it does go the other way around. It's important for you to let people know, what's in, you know what your schedules are and what your culture is about. I think sometimes in this business we get, uh, we do get too Amerocentric. Um, we, uh, you know, whatever. I think we, um, sometimes we, we forget that um, there are other people in the world. 
Uh, and I guess maybe that's true of a lot of cultures. You know, I worked in Germany for two years, goodness gracious. How many Germans are in here? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, um, uh, classic tale. My wife and I worked there together in the same company, and we had, um, we had a holiday coming up for uh, Deutsche Einheit, the, the German Reunification Day, now national holiday. Um, and Karen was real excited because it was a day off. It's on holiday. She said, that's great. And, and friends said, well, you know, yeah, it's a holiday. She said, no, it's great because, you know, all the stores usually close by 8 o'clock during the week. It's really hard to find, you know, time to shop because we work, you know, I, you know, HCI hours, Internet hours. You know, you're working so long and there's, you know, there's a 24-hour concept. And, and our friend said, yeah, it's a, it's a holiday, though, Karen. And she said, yeah, but that's great because I can go shopping. And he said, no, it's a holiday. And Karen said, yes, it's a holiday. And Heiko said, no, but it's a holiday. Yes, it's a holiday. Two totally different things. And, and the fact is that she couldn't see the difference that it's a holiday for everybody, the shopkeepers, you know, for everybody except for essential people in transportation and, you know, beer garden and stuff like that. <laughs> you know. But, I mean, it's totally different mindset. When you work remotely, it... I really think that the separation becomes even greater. So um, it's important to make sure that you're sensitive to others. But as a manager, you got to have courage. You have to have heart. You have to realize that you work for your company and you do have a responsibility to those above you. But you know what? You really have more responsibility to the people who report to you. And if you are managed by somebody, you need to impart to them. You need to challenge them to be courageous and stand up for you. You know, you <laughs> how many times do people feel like they're out of sight, out of mind? You know, a lot of people feel nobody pays attention to me. The right thing to do is to stand up for your folks and know they're there and to let them know that you know that they're there. There was a period of time for about four months four to five months with, with a company that I worked for where they forgot about me. They literally forgot about me. Every day I got to, you know, I mean, I'd fire up the uh, emails. I'd, you know, hey, I'm here. Any projects going on? Every day for four months. And no communication. I would send emails. They wouldn't respond to me. Paychecks kept coming in every two weeks. <laughs> so that's, that's cool, right? Let me tell you, I put a lot of miles on my motorcycle good it was in a in a good time for weather and, but it's like okay I've checked in I got my phone you know I'll go off you know you can call me and at some point I really felt on the one hand there's a, people say that's great yeah but there's terror because at some point some bean counter can kind of do a line item and say who is this guy we don't know let's stop this paycheck there was no leadership practice for that nobody was taking account looking out for me because I was out of sight out of mind um, but at the same time, uh, it goes the other way that um, people who, um, as managers, who, who are given um, stuff for other people to do and, and to push, have that stuff come downhill, they forget that as a, as a manager, your job is to be an umbrella. You know, as Hunter Thompson says, you know, that's your job, job is to keep the shit rain off of people. And I love that word. I think it's a very vivid thing. It's not just keep the rain off of people. It's the really nasty, horrible rain. 
and to keep the idea that um, you have to stand up for your people as a manager. It's your, it's your job, it's your, your, I think that it's, if people leave, that does reflect on you as a manager. Retention is important, so you have to have courage, uh, and you have to show that courage to standing up sometimes to, in difficult conversations with higher management to say, you know, we have to do this because it's the right thing. We need to get that um, MacBook Pro to this person because that's what they really need. Because why? Because they're remote, they don't have IT right there. Or we need to make sure that this person has a, um, uh, a, a voice over IP phone so that we can call it. We need to pay this person's um, uh, broadband connection fee because they are remote and we need to make sure that they have uptime and it's our responsibility to do that. We need to make sure that they have the right software as opposed to, well, our corporate policy is we can only have these softwares. Yeah, but that's, you know, that software is not going to work remotely. So courage is, is an important thing. And finally, hope. You've got to give people hope. You know, maybe you're counting down to, to some event, maybe you're counting down the days, but you've got to give people hope that what they're doing matters and that they matter. And that, um, especially in today's economy, it's important that they understand that you are, are there for them and that what they're doing is important. They're giving them the right guidance and uh, it's making sense to them that, that, that what they're doing is, is useful. Does that make sense? And so, based on that, what are some of the tools that I talk about using? Um, my friend up, I'm changing my rear tire before my ride down here. Um, and it's important, so when we talk about tools, email, right? We all use email, it's the lowest common denominator. We use email before any sort of communication, I think. But dealing with remote people again, and especially people from other cultures, we have to take care how we write. On the one hand, for some of the, for some of the Chinese, some of the uh, French people that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, they communicate much more effectively by email. I have to remember that. So that when I, when I have a WebEx or a conference call and they don't say very much, I have to remember that for a lot of people, communicating in another language is easier in print than it is orally, orally, and orally. Um, so some of the stuff that I think that you want to make sure is that you also, and this goes with spoken communication, pay attention to how you write things. Try to avoid, I mean, so we all know these, right? I'm probably belaboring the obvious. Try to avoid contractions uh, unless they're very natural. What did I, W-H-A, T apostrophe D has a lot of problems for some people. But at the same time, um, the great thing about email, of course, it's a written communication, and it's largely what most people use. It's better than so many of the other things, and most companies live and in, 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 in breathe email. So I would encourage you to keep you know, email definitely in mind as you, as you craft those messages and as you think about who you're writing to, curtness that we tend to do in very quick emails can really be misread by remote people, especially if they're not dealing with you every day. I've been, I've been guilty of that, of, 
of taking something the wrong way that was never intended because somebody just dashed something off. I worked for a manager out of, who was out of Austin, and I was in, in North Carolina, in RTP. She, and she was Australian. She would, uh, uh, she would write some emails that I just thought were so rude and so offensive. And when I would see her, she was totally different. Her, her demeanor in person was totally different. Try to make sure that your email persona and your physical persona are the same. Um, telephone. Um, as I was saying, if you're doing, you know, if you're talking on the telephone and you're dealing with people for, who are in other places, make sure you can be heard. We have a guy in the UK who mutes himself. He uses a, an IP phone and he'll put himself on mute and for some reason it creates a rush of white noise. He doesn't hear it, but we do, so we have to constantly remind him. That's a, something that we should solve by technology. So as a manager, the manager says, whatever that is, let's solve that because it's having an impact on the rest of the team members. Um, again, again, the, the cadence that, of what you say is really important, especially on the phone. How many people have conference calls or, or, or common calls with people from other cultures and uh, you know, other geographies, and we talked about those times? Keeping in mind how you do your telephone uh, talk calls is really important, and also really good to do a follow-up every time. And it's, I hate writing follow-up notes. I hate writing minutes. But it's really important. This is what I think we did, agreed on. Does everybody agree? It can be an email, it can be a form, uh, it, it, it should be low impact. But when you're dealing with remote folks, telephone, the other side is it's important to use telephone. We tend, in this business, we tend to, to do monologues instead of dialogues. And that it's important that we have a chance for dialogue. I could keep talking about that. Video and web conferencing is also important. We need to be able to show people stuff. We need to be able to use video conferencing. And um, when we do that, let's make sure it works. Always be early to a video conference, a web conference. Make sure it's set up. Make sure that people know beforehand what they need, how to get there, what the URL is. The reason for that little screen video is it was a screen capture that I did in a web conference to illustrate a point. And it can be very effective and help people with presence. And in design, I use stuff like this a lot. But, and I, I use different things and always have a backup plan. Our company uses Sprint, and I think a lot of people do for their telecommunication. Last week, we were doing a, a call. We couldn't, I, I was the uh, host. I couldn't get in. It was giving me an error. I tried again, I checked, maybe I'm on the wrong one. I, uh, uh, I am uh, somebody in Atlanta, do you know what's going on? He says, no, I, I am my boss in uh, London. He says, uh, maybe Sprint's down. I knew about Dim Dim, long story short, but I went to a backup, I had a backup for that thing and was able to uh, make the conference happen because I was prepared for that. But, um, when you're doing video conferences, when you're web conferences, whatever, and, and teleconferences, you have to talk into the microphone. The worst thing in the world is... We're talking into the telephone. 
that happens to me all the time. And I, when I'm leading a call, when I'm managing my staff, when I'm having those meetings or in a project, I always try to start on time and, and do roll call and make sure that I am talking into the phone and I remind people who are in groups in an office or a conference room, you have to talk into the phone. Natural thing is people get into a, a rhythm inside that conference room where you are not or where, where your team member is not, and they forget about the people on the other side. What you can do, and this is a real nice, effective thing, it sounds silly, but you can just simply use a, a magic marker. You can either do table tents that you can say who's there. You can put those table tents around the phone. You can just put a, a, a sticker, a sticky note on the phone that says, you know, hello, I'm here. But it's really effective to make sure you get that communication and uh, make sure, again, that your, all of your systems are working. So um, in video conference or conferences and web conferences don't work. Collaboration tools, you know, 37 Signals does some, you know, um, I don't know. There are a million of them, SharePoints and intranets. And, you know, the bigger ones usually don't work. Most people don't use them. But you should leverage them and find out what's going to work for your team. Is it FTP or is it, um, you know, it's, I know it seems archaic, but... Um, whatever that is, you need to be able to give. It's a common file share. You as a, if you're a manager, you've got to make sure that that's working for your remote people. And if you're working remotely, you've got to press people to say, I can't get access to that thing. Um, there's been, there are such benefits to working remotely. It's a different thing. But if you're managing people who are remote, you need to understand that and, and celebrate that. So figure out what your co collaboration tools are and leverage them uh, throughout your organization. Um, how many people use microblogging of some sort as a business tool? Okay. Sarah, how do you use it? One of the cool things that um, Comcast Interactive Media does, Olivia can tell you stories if you see her here, is they've actually used for at least the past year, they've used Twitter as a communication tool, both uh, quick Watson, I need you type of DM, or um, uh, a way to let people know that meetings are starting or uh, that are expand beyond just that idea of a worker in front of a cube, boot hole in front of a hardwired PC. So it does have the ability to extend that reach. My company is using Yammer. Anybody using Yammer? 
Yammer is also good. The idea of Yammer is that it's a corporate closed uh, uh, ability to do that same sort of thing. Some companies are afraid of Twitter because it's a security risk. And of course, the answer is your email is not secure anyway, so forget about it. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, using any of those tools, you know, I, the microblogging, the IM, I mean, I, I include all of those things kind of in, in this area. Um, it, it, that means that um, if you're using uh, IM, make sure that your remote people have the ability to log on if they need VPN. Make sure the VPN works. They get the IT support to have that happen because in our case, that was a problem. We had to make sure that that IM uh, could work and you know, so it could work well. Um, I, I really could go on and again, when we talk about these tools, so if we're talking about video and web conferencing, you know, Yugu and DimDim are great alternatives. Do you, you all know those? Yugu, Y-W-U-U-G-U-U.com and DimDim.com. Uh, Acrobat Connect from Adobe.com is great because it lets you have up to three people for free doing uh, screencasting and uh, uh, teleconferencing as well. But I don't really look at the technology that much because I, I see it as largely ephemeral and it's also going to work with different teams. What's important is what works for your team and um, to make sure that you try to take into account the fact that they are remote and that people are dis dispersed is really important to what we have going on as far as um, creating a sense of community. This community and a lot of the UX people talk about that in the web 2.0 and this and, and uh, uh, community uh, websites and tools uh, are all very interesting, but as companies in workplace, we tend not to practice that. And I think that we have to do that. And especially as UX professionals, in order to do remote design, there's no other way to do it than to make sure people feel part of the community. Questions and discussion? I think you have to use this. Okay, yeah, and that way they'll be recorded. It's more for the recording. I understand. Um, one thing that, that I, we do naturally because of the, the one of our, our main teleconferencing tools is Skype. Yes, um, and we, we're, we're, we're using that as well. Yeah, and, and, and we make Second Life, so we occasionally eat the dog food. Um, but, but yeah, basically one important thing to a voice conference is that in a conference room, when you're saying something, you notice somebody else getting uncomfortable and you let them interrupt you. But in a voice, in a telephone conference, you don't have that visual cue that they're getting uncomfortable, right. so it's really important to have a text back channel where somebody can make a point about being uncomfortable and they want to interject something. And so you at least know to go back to them when you finish your point or whatever. Um, I was on a teleconference with somebody external to the company and it was like, like actually dialing into a phone and there was no way for me to like text like a URL to them. I, I, I just felt crippled. So, so yeah, to me it's important to have a, like a chat channel going at the same time as the voice conversation just to, to have it feel like you're in the same room even if you can't see it. 
Yeah, yeah, basically an approved back channel. And then, you know, you can also have an external back channel if it's a really big meeting, but yeah. Uh, however, however, I have a very embarrassing story to tell on myself. And um, be careful when you do that if you're using back channel or separate things, if there is screen sharing going on, that you don't accidentally show what you're doing. So I had a, co a conversation with somebody where I just was not getting through. I was not getting through, not getting through. Fired up my IM thing and sent to a peer and manager and said, help me out here. I'm just not able to communicate. He's not getting it. What can I do to improve this and get through? While the other colleague is talking, he says, oh, and by the way, Joe, I can see your IMs. Because I was sharing at desktop instead of application. So word to the wise is sufficient. It really could have. You know. Any, anybody else? Um, one of the things that, that we've started to do or that um, we started to work towards, because a lot of us from North Carolina are calling into Boston, and folks in Boston are in a room when most of us are at our desks, yes. we've actually asked everybody to call in from their phones so that we're, we're on you know even playing ground so that there's because typically it's maybe one or two of us calling in from North Carolina, and right. there's a larger group in Boston. Um, so that actually helps everybody else understand what we're dealing with on the phone. When they haven't had to deal with that, they're, they're used to being in person. They're not yep. used to having to struggle with not being able to read people's body language. So if everybody's calling in from their phone, it's easier to enforce phone etiquette. And if you're the only one, it's easier for the people in the in the room together to start having side conversations to forget that you're on the phone. Um, That's so good. It's That's just good. One, one way of trying to. I think some people in some companies don't do that because they, um, you know, it's a cost thing. Sometimes the number of people who call into a, uh, a video or a teleconference costs more money. Um, but. I think that's a very good technique, and I, I like that, is that idea of having everybody understand what everybody else is going through. No, that's, but that's a great idea. Anybody else? <laughs> I actually use an ancient Plantronics wireless that I've had for four, five five or six years. But I have to say, I swear by Plantronics. I think that for wireless, they do awesome stuff. I don't use Bluetooth for that. Now, I use a Bluetooth on my motorcycle. So sometimes when I'm doing a, 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 a phone conference, you know, driving down the road somewhere, uh, which is horribly dangerous. But um, that's another thing that I do. And one of the things about, you know, having a Bluetooth headset in a motorcycle or your, or your car or having, um, uh, you know, the broadband uh, uh, USB card to extend your internet reach is really good for that. At home, though, I really find it useful, A, to have the headset. B, if you're doing Skype or some of the other uh, um, phone or video uh, web conferencing things, you'll get that feedback if you're just, if you're not using headset or even just headphones. So. Personally, I, I really like Plantronics. I probably need to come back into the 21st century, though. Um, so Plantronics phones are generally good. Um, I found I got a new pair of glasses for, for work for the office because I finally got 
it also depends on your physical setup. I mean, if you're also, if you're working in an office, so the office in Atlanta where I have a desk, we have a very open, you know, next generation, real cool, you know, hip designer thing place. You know, that's why I got the cool glasses. Yeah. Um, very open, but of course it's very loud. So maybe something. So you talked a little bit about having a strategy when yeah. you are on, on the communicating, and I, well, I want to learn some more about how, how you strategize before you get on a call, or what do you think, do you have a checklist a in mind? Or, um, so what, what kinds of things would you recommend people do oh. um, in, in terms of formulating what you're going to say, or do you even write things down? Because you, because you are remote, they can't see what, what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. so if you're reading things, or, or you have more, more ability to, to really multitask at the, at the at the point of communication, so. That's a good point, and also that. staying focused on the meeting and not wandering off and tweeting about the meeting and, uh, you know. Uh, or or looking up things that you can, can kind of back up your, your case or your argument in, in, a, in a discussion, so. So yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. So preparing for a meeting is absolutely important, and especially when you're dealing with people who are remote, you really need to, to have them together and really not waste their time. Sometime back we had a vendor who was always late that with meetings that they were hosting used to drive us absolutely drive me absolutely bonkers so part of that is good meeting preparation in general if you're doing a physical meeting though it's a little easier to kind of fudge it well we're waiting for some people or I get a cup of coffee and that sort of thing when you're remote or you have remote people and some of the worst thing is when you have people dialing in to a conference room with a bunch of people who were sitting there eating pizza and oh yeah we had a great uh, carry out lunch and and there's no sense of agenda there's no sense of what's going on that's a uh, that's a real meeting a productivity killer it's important to have an agenda beyond anything else and then based on that agenda as an organizer or as a host you need to know what it is that you need to have behind that third I think it's important that if that, that you could dial into these meetings and you initiate the web uh, conferences, you know, at least three minutes before the actual start time. Um, what that does is it forces you to then prepare for that beforehand. And um, one of the reasons that people do so much stuff with PowerPoint, I think, is to help them organize it. I don't do that personally. The way I do it is I write uh, agenda items down in the, in the invitation so everybody has the same thing. But again, it's largely an email. I try to keep it low common denominator. I try not to manage too many artifacts. One of the reasons is that I am by nature and personally extremely disorganized, so I have to work even harder to be organized. One of the reasons I do that, though, is exactly what you said, is that there are other people who are dependent on that. There's a great series of uh, videos from the 80s that John Cleese from Monty Python did. Um, and one is called Meetings, Bloody Meetings, and the other one is More Bloody Meetings. And they were designed, they were corporate education tools, and they were designed to help people do meetings. And the first one has him playing a, you know, kind of a, a Ricky Gervais kind of guy um, doing um, you know, low-level uh, low manager who has people coming into his office, and he's sitting there, and he says, all right, who called this meeting? And they say, well, you did. And he says, well, what's it about? Well, I don't know. What's it about? So, I mean, that's, your, that's my key strategy. Now, again, it gets back that gets into project management and certain styles. 
but I think it's important to craft your message beforehand and think about those meetings uh, using those other techniques. Who's going to be on the call? Where are they located? What time of day is it? You know, what is going on in their life? Um, it's going to have a, a, a positive impact on that. Is that? Yeah. Any anybody else? So you know, obviously, feel free to you know get in touch with me, and if you have. Uh, any uh, questions, answers, or ideas, uh, suggestions, let me know. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.